invite you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to 2 Thessalonians, please, chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and I'll direct your attention to verses 6 through 10. We'll not get through all of these tonight, um, but we'll, we'll be here in this portion for at least, at least two weeks. I would assume maybe longer. We'll see how it goes, but um, as we continue in our study through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, there are definitely some truths uh, that are very, well, the Word of God is always relevant, but they're very relevant for the day that we live in. And I want to encourage you tonight uh, through the Word of God. Follow along as I read these four, five verses, beginning in verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now, I want to engage your mind right now, okay? So we're, we're going to do a little interacting here for just a second. So don't, don't feel like you can't respond to me. This is not a rhetorical question. This is actually a question I want somebody to answer, okay? If I were to ask you, which I'm going to, what is the theme of these verses? Read the verses again if you need to. But somebody give me, a, don't worry, there aren't wrong answers here. What is the theme of these verses? If somebody has it, feel free to say something. I'll give you a clue. It's mentioned two times in these verses. No, that's not it, but we'll get to that. Yep. It's stated a little bit differently, but it's referred to two times in these verses. Not punishment. What'd you say? Nope. Boy, this sermon's going to go a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> okay, we're, we're getting closer, but no. No. What's that? Okay, we're, getting, we're definitely talking about the end of time. The theme really is the return of Jesus Christ. How many of you thought that? Somebody, nobody thought that? It's mentioned two times in here. Look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look at verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints. All the things that were mentioned that you just mentioned are all wrapped up in this theme, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those key statements in verse 7, the Lord shall be revealed. It's stated a little bit differently in verse 10, but the key statement is when he shall come. And so that uh, climactic reality is the theme of the text before us. Now, 
understand the context and remember this. In the context, the church at Thessalonica is experiencing persecution. Verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. All right, that's related to verse 4. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Okay, so the context that Paul is talking in is that the church is experiencing persecution. They were under pressure, but still they were faithful. They were being uh, troubled and persecuted, and yet still they were persevering and they were steadfast, but that persecution was beginning to intensify. And so Paul is writing here in order to encourage the people in Thessalonica to continue to be strong, to continue to endure. And Paul reminds them, by way of encouragement, reminds them of the coming of Jesus Christ that is their great hope. He says in verse 7, To you who are troubled, rest with us. And let me say to you tonight that this is a great reminder for us as well as we look at the world out there. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. The return of the Lord Jesus Christ is our great hope. And when you read the scriptures, forever and always, when you read the scriptures, it points to the climax of history as being the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the thing that we are to focus on, the thing that we are longing for, the thing we're looking for. The Lord Jesus, as he's called here in verse 7, where is he now? Uh, right now, he's at the right hand of God. Right now, he's exalted as the sovereign head of his church. He's the faithful high priest unto God for his people. He's not currently presently with his feet on the ground here, but the day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Currently, he's hidden from this world, so much so that the majority of the world doesn't believe in him or believe that he's alive, but he shall, shall be revealed. When he shall come, when he shall be revealed, Romans 14, 11 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to God. Philippians 2, 10, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue and every knee, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Presently, saints of God, we love him, though we have not seen him. But someday we will see him, and someday we will love him fully. Uh, someday we'll have a glorified body. Someday we will see him as he is. This is the truth that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to this church that is under persecution. You're enduring such uh, they're hard things. And, and life is not easy. Life is difficult. But understand this. 
It's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Why? Because he's going to be revealed. And he's keeping score. That was a way of encouraging these people. Don't focus on the tribulation. Focus on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, said all that to say this. We need to understand that as Paul talks about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ here, he uses two different words in reference to the return of the Lord. And he does so because it highlights the different perspectives or realities concerning what the return of the Lord means. In other words, the Lord's return is going to affect people differently. Also, what we need to keep in mind here is that the return of Christ comes in two phases. You've heard me say this before. The first phase is coming for his saints. That is the rapture. That is before the tribulation. Uh, the Lord's feet don't come all the way to this earth because the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we are caught up and we meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Them means those who've died in Christ already. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the first phase of the return of the Lord, coming for his saints, the rapture. The second phase is coming with his saints. This is after the tribulation. This is when his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. This is when Christ begins to set up his earthly kingdom, the millennial kingdom. All right? So you have to keep that in mind. Now, keep that in mind, as well as the fact that Paul uses two different words here when he refers to the coming of the Lord. And I want to look at those words. Let's look at verse 10 first. Notice the phrase, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. That phrase, shall come, is the Greek word erkomai. It simply means to appear, okay? So when he shall appear, he's going to appear to be glorified in his saints. That is a word that is a very common word used in relation to the Lord's return, and it's usually used in relationship to saints, the perspective of saints, all right? So his appearing, that's what the word means, his appearing is going to affect the saints of God. Notice the effect that it's going to have. Verse 10 says that the saints will be, he, he will be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. The word admired means to wonder or to marvel. The effect of the appearing of the Lord is that God's going to be glorified in his saints and the saints of God are going to marvel and wonder. Okay? So in this sense, it's the coming of the one that we as saints of God know, but we have not seen, okay? The one that we know personally, but we haven't seen him. We anticipate him. We long for him. It's the arrival or the unveiling of the one that we love. It's the presence of the one that we've come into relationship with, the one we've been waiting for. He's finally appeared or revealed. You understand that? Okay? But his revealing 
will be something totally different for this world and for unbelievers. Look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. This phrase, shall be revealed, is the Greek word apocalypsis. It's where we get our English word apocalypse from. It also means appearing. This is interesting. Because the revealing or the appearing or the coming of Jesus Christ to this world is going to be apocalyptic. Notice how it's described in verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of, of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You see the very, very different effect that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ has for the saints and for unbelievers? For the saints, it's the one we've been longing for. He's finally here. We anticipate His appearing. We see Him as He is. For the world and for unbelievers, it's apocalyptic. A very different effect that the return of the Lord has. It's an apocalypsis. It's an unveiling. It's the appearing of someone that the world has not known. The revealing or the unveiling of one who is hidden to them. But he's hidden because they have denied him. And this verse tells us they have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. His return will be shocking. But here's the truth. They will know exactly who he is. What a fearful thing. There's not going to be any mistaking who Jesus Christ is when he returns to this earth. Every eye is going to see him. Every knee is going to bow to him. Every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see the very different effects that the revealing or the coming of Jesus Christ takes on. Now, the revealing of Jesus Christ is described by three prepositional phrases that are found in verses 7 and 8. And that's where we're going to spend our time here tonight. I'm not going to keep you very long. But notice in verse 7, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And I want to just make a... a a statement about that before we actually cover it. That description in flaming fire is not a description of what he does. It's a description of what he is at his appearing. And so this is this description of the Lord's return is describing his return to this earth, his return completely to this earth after the tribulation period. It's not describing the first phase as the rapture. It's describing what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes and puts his feet on this earth again. And I want to look at these three tonight here. And we'll cover all of the others in future messages here. There's a lot that's packed into these verses. 
But I want to just look at these three things tonight that describe the return of the Lord, because I think we can see something wonderful out of this great event that actually should encourage our hearts. The first thing, and by the way, the title of the message, which is going to be the title of the messages following, is the vengeance of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to convey these truths tonight. And I'm thankful for how you teach through your spirit and through your word. And thankful for the time today studying and the things that you taught me and encouraged my heart with. Help me, Lord, tonight to convey them to the church. And may our hearts rejoice in you. May our hearts be lifted up and strengthened and encouraged in the fact that our God reigns that he's coming again, that this world as it's spiraling completely out of control is not ever out of your control. And in the end, when it's all said and done, uh, the Lord has already won. And Lord, I pray that you'd cause us to focus on that wonderful truth, our hope, our confident expectation that the Lord is coming for his own. And Father, may we not fear in this world, but Father, may it, these truths cause us to live as we ought to live, anticipating, looking for that blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, notice here that Jesus, his, the revelation of the revealing of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is revealed from heaven in verse 7. When the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. That's a, a wonderful statement. From heaven. Now, obviously, the first time that he came into this world, he came from heaven, but he came through the miracle of birth, and there was no ability to see him moving from heaven to earth. But the Bible tells us that the next time that Jesus Christ comes, it's going to be visible. The eyes are going to see it, and he's coming from heaven. Now, look over at Acts chapter 1. Just keep your place here and look in Acts chapter 1 because Acts 1 records the ascension of Jesus Christ at the end of his earthly ministry. <coughs> Excuse me. And I want you to look at verse 9. The Bible says, Acts 1 in verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now notice the words of the angels here to the disciples. They said uh, to the disciples, why are you standing there gazing up into heaven? Jesus, the one that you just saw go up into heaven, is going to come in like manner as you have seen him go. Meaning you're going to see him come and return in the same way. Visibly, physically, in a cloud, you saw him go. A cloud received him out of their sight. And visibly, physically, He's going to return from heaven. Now, 
Physically, visibly, they saw him go up into heaven. What is he doing in heaven currently? Well, the Bible tells us in John 14 that he's preparing a place for us so that he can come and get us. And where he is, there we may be also. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is a minister in the sanctuary of God. 1 John chapter 2 in verse 1 says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the go-between for between us and the Father. And Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He is active. He is busy. He's in heaven. But the Bible says that he is, now, he is currently in heaven, but visibly, physically, he's going to return from heaven. I think that's a wonderful thing. It verifies for us that Jesus Christ is alive. He's not dead. We don't serve a dead Savior. He's very active, and he's going to keep his promise that he's coming again from heaven. Now notice the second description, the end of verse 7 of our text. It says that Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So a further note here is Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, don't be discouraged. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming from heaven. He's alive. And not only is he coming from heaven, but he's coming with his mighty angels. When he returns in power, it's going to be with the angels of God. That revelation will be from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, go to Revelation chapter 19 because... This passage parallels Revelation chapter 19. Let me read several verses out of Revelation chapter 19. Start in verse 11 with me. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So we understand this is Jesus Christ because of his very name, the Word, the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, 
and against his armies. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now, in this chapter, in Revelation 19, we find that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, who is the faithful and true, He judges, He makes war. Verse 12 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire. There was a name that only He knew. He was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. He's called the Word of God. And you get to verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed Him on white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You say, well, pastor, why did you bring that passage up? Well, I believe that the armies here aren't a reference to the angels of God that we read back in our text, and I'll get to that in a second. But the armies here are referring to glorified saints. You say, well, why do you say that? Because I want you to notice their description. The armies of heaven followed him upon white horses. They are clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's a description of how these people are. Now look at verse 8 of chapter 19. Let's go back to verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and of the voice of many waters, and of the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. We find that the description given to the Lamb's bride is that they were, it was clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and the linen is the righteousness of the saints. It's the very same description as those who return with the Lord Jesus Christ on white horses. And what I'm saying is I believe the armies here refer to glorified saints. Also, when you read in the book of Jude, verse 14, the Bible says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so I highlighted that on purpose because our text says that Jesus Christ is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. There's also other passages of scripture like Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 that says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And so what we find in the word of God is not something that necessarily is conflicting, but we've got two different descriptions going on here. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is the saints of God are coming back with the Lord Jesus Christ. But apparently, 
angelic armies of heaven are also included in this because of our text and because of passages like Matthew chapter 25. So what's the conclusion? Well, I can't conclusively say exactly how everything's going to go in the end times. We don't have all of the information. But what we do know is that the saints of God are coming back with Jesus Christ. The angels are coming back with Jesus Christ. But regardless about that, what we do know is that when Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be all about him. He is going to be the center of attention. In Revelation 19, that description describes the the battle of Armageddon that's going to be taking place. And when the battle of Armageddon takes place, there's going to be a resounding victory by Jesus Christ. And all of the focus is going to be on him. In that day, Satan and his entire empire is going to be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. You can read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. When Jesus Christ returns from heaven with his angels, there's going to be a great victory that happens. Satan and his empire is going to be bound in the bottomless pit to deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. We find that Christ is coming from heaven. He's coming with his mighty angels. The focus is going to be all on him. But then I want you to note this third description that Paul gives about the return of Jesus Christ. It's in the first part of verse 8. In flaming fire. And I want you to note this. There will be fire in the judgment which Jesus Christ brings. But I don't believe that is the fire that is spoken of here initially. This is the fire of his presence. This is the fire of his glory. It's not the same fire that's described in 2 Peter 3 and verse 10, when the elements will melt with fervent heat at the fury of his fiery judgment. The fire of his presence will become the fire of his judgment. But here I believe the Apostle Paul is describing the Shekinah glory of God. He's talking about how he's going to come from heaven. He's talking about how he's coming with his mighty angels and, 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 and he's coming in flaming fire. I think it's a description of the glory or the blazing light of the presence of Jesus Christ not necessarily the instrument of punishment. The text says that he's revealed in flaming fire, taking vengeance. And I believe it's simply a further description of the glory 
of Christ's appearance. It's going to be majestic. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be mighty when he appears. Now, in the Old Testament, God is represented as appearing in flaming fire. You remember when he revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. The Lord came and was present in that bush. It was a flaming fire, but the bush was not consumed. It was a fire that didn't consume, but it emanated the glory of God's presence. And Moses had to take his shoes off because he was on holy ground. It's the same fire that in Exodus chapter 19 appeared as God moved down Mount Sinai to, to put forth his law. Exodus 19.16 says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. In the Old Testament, God is presented as appearing in flaming fire and his coming to judgment is also represented as coming in fire. Psalm 97, 3 says, A fire goeth before him, and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlighten the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. What I'm saying is, what is asserted to God in the Old Testament is here referred to Christ. In Revelation 19 again, if you look back there, when Jesus comes again, note the description. In verse 12, it says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name written that no man knew but he himself. Look at verse 12, or excuse me, verse, uh, verse 16. You get down, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus Christ being presented here, but he's being presented as God, Lord of lords, King of kings. Again, there's a time and a place where that flaming essence becomes a consuming judgment. The burning holy fire of God becomes the burning judgment fire. There's a time and a place for that. But I think in our text, this is an indication of the deity of Jesus Christ. Here we find Jesus Christ being presented as God. The Lord Jesus Christ coming from heaven where he's been seated on the very throne of God, coming with his mighty angels, which means he moves in the same company that God moves in, coming in flaming Shekinah, blazing glory. It's majestic. I think that's what the text is revealing to us. And I would point out to you something that I've said before. 
by way of application here. There are always, always foolish people who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They'll make up all kinds of statements like when John talks about when Jesus says, I and my father are one. Oh, well, that doesn't mean one in person. That just means that just means one in agreement. Things like that. <coughs> There's always foolish people who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And yet when you look at a passage like this and you look at other portions of the word of God, you see a text like this that is such a powerful indicator of who he is, that, he, that he's deity. And Paul just moves easily from, from things that are true about God in the Old Testament to saying the very same things are true about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And what Paul is saying here to the church is, in the, is that in every sense, this is God, the Son, who is returning for you. He comes from heaven where God dwells. He comes with mighty angels who are God's ministers. He comes in flaming fire, which is a manifestation or a manifest essence of his, of his glory. And so he reminds the church in Thessalonica, and he reminds us as well, that when Jesus Christ comes again, friends, he comes as God, and he's revealed as God. Now, we say, okay, what does that mean? Well, I think it means a couple of things. It means something for the unsaved, but it also means something for the saved. When Jesus Christ comes, he comes as God. He's revealed as God. There's no mistaking who he is when he comes. And for the unsaved, it means this. It means that Jesus Christ is not to be ignored. He is not to be trifled with. He is God. You say, well, why should he not be ignored? Because he's all-powerful, almighty God who is a consuming fire. That's who Jesus is. And you don't fear what men can do to the body. You fear God who can kill the body and soul in hell. Fear him. And there's reason to fear. You go back to our text. And you look in verse 8, because he's taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it tell us? It tells us that those, there are people here who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had opportunity, but they don't know God, and it brings upon them the vengeance of God. Verse 9, who shall be punished? with everlasting, that means eternal, destruction from the presence of the Lord. There's reason to fear. He is not to be ignored. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ is coming again. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a scare tactic. This is the written word of God. This is very true. You're here this, this evening and you're not saved. Jesus Christ is not to be ignored. He's not to be trifled with because he's God. And when he comes again, there is no mistaking who he is. And he's coming for a reason. I think it also means something else for the saved. And again, we see the key 
different sides or effects of the Lord's return. As Christians, His appearing is our shining hope. Amen? And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians here, you're troubled, you're suffering, you're you're experiencing persecution. But no matter what you go through, friend, look to this great event and be encouraged because it's a righteous thing with God to recompense uh, and, and to pay back basically those that trouble you. God's keeping record. God's keeping score. Hey, friend, no matter what you're going through, look to this event and be encouraged because he's coming again. That same truth is for us. Jesus Christ is coming in unimaginable power, in unbelievable, inexplicable glory with his angels, and everybody's going to see him at his unveiling. There's no mistaking who he is. And beloved, things are not going so well in the world, are they? You look at what's happening out there. And you look at what used to be a country that was built on law and order. And you look at a country that used to have a sense of justice to it. And you look out there and you think and you say, well, all of this is just its chaos. It's just unraveling. It's all falling apart. Is there any justice in this world anymore? You know, truth has fallen in the streets. What does the Bible say? I believe it's in Psalm 12 that, that it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's a, uh, what's a mark or it's a picture of what a culture is when the vilest of men are exalted. And you just think about uh, current events right now. The, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, for example. I'm going to pray that that kid gets exonerated. But the people that, that the prosecution is, is lauding as victims, they're all convicted felons, every single one of them. And they're being lauded and praised as, as good citizens and people like that. Listen, that is a mark of what's happening in our country when the vilest of men are exalted. It's not getting better. It's not going to get better. It's going to continue to unravel. But the Lord is keeping score. Verse 6 of our text says, It's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And whatever it is that we face or will face in our lifetime as saints of God, no matter what we go through, we can look to this great event that Christ is coming. He's going to make it all right. Amen? This is not speculation. This is not wishful thinking. This is not dreaming on the part of religious people so that we can make our miserable lives better. This is pre-written history. It's pre-written history. And so when you look out there at how it's falling apart and you look at the sick and twisted injustice of this world and truth falling in the streets, remember, he's coming again. This world is not my home. We don't have to fret and fear. 
what we ought to do is look. Look up for our redemption God now. Amen? Sure, we want to feel like there's a shred of decency left in this world. That's okay. But I'm not putting all my hope in that. Amen? But I am putting my confidence in the fact that Jesus said, come and reign. When he's revealed, it's going to be bad for this world and those who know not God. But when he's coming, like verse 10 says, and he shall come for the saints, he'll be glorified in the saints and be admired in all them that believe. Now, next time, we're going to see that the revealing of Jesus Christ produces two results. There's going to be relief. And there's going to be retribution. That's that this text reveals. But you got to come back next time to find out how. All right. So just remember this. Jesus Christ is God. He's coming in unimaginable power, in unbelievable, inexplicable glory with his angels and everyone's going to see it and everyone's going to know exactly who he is and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Amen? That's where we put our hope. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, encourage us with these truths. The world is sick and it's getting more sick all the time. We pay attention to the news long enough we can become discouraged and defeated. Where's truth? Where's justice? Well, it's fallen. It's fallen in the streets. The world is having its way. It seems as though the ungodly are winning. But the battle is already won. And for God's people, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. To look up for our redemption. Draw us nigh. And may it, it, it compel us as saints of God to live with the right priorities. To live with the right perspective. That there are souls that hang in the balance. <coughs> and Lord, I pray that as God's people, we'd not be discouraged, we'd not be defeated, but we'd be encouraged. As Paul tried to encourage the church in Thessalonica with this truth. Jesus Christ is coming again. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.